Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in learning more about the world of career coaching, then this is the episode for you because my next guest is the founder and lead coach at Career Therapy, a company that helps people get unstuck in their career search. After graduating from college in 2010 during the last Great Recession, Martin set off on a decade-long career in marketing and advertising, where he helped Fortune 500 companies to use behavioral psychology to drive user behavior. Martin actually started off his career working at the Discover Card. His title was an account manager. We're going to be getting into that in a few minutes before he moved on to Mark USA. That's M-A-R-C USA. It's a privately held U.S.-based advertising company with over 200 employees. And then most recently, he worked at Udacity as a project manager and a senior career advisor. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with Udacity, it is an online learning platform with courses that are focused on data science, digital marketing, programming, AI, and so much more. During the two years he spent at Udacity, Martin coached hundreds of students on their career journey. He is also the host of the fantastic Career Therapy Podcast, as well as the host of a daily live streaming show every weekday morning on LinkedIn and YouTube. So, Make sure to follow him on both platforms. Martin, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you still caffeinated and ready to go? As caffeinated as I'll ever be. Well, I don't know about that, Martin. <laughs> Have not, we yes. ever be caffeinated enough? <laughs> no, no, I don't think we can. You're a philosophical guy. Indeed, indeed. The, the coffee keeps us alive. It definitely is something that is very important in my life as well. So I want to do things a little differently with you today, Martin. Usually I start off with where my guests are now and we kind of look in the rear view mirror and, and drive backwards. But instead, I'd like to start where you were when you graduated from DePaul University, where you got a, a BS in commerce with a major in marketing and a minor in art and design. Did you know what you wanted to do with those degrees or that degree when you graduated, Martin? I certainly thought I did. <laughs> I mean, I'm a career coach now, so I didn't even know that was a job back in the day outside of the career department at my school. 
which I actually had issues with. So maybe that played a role in, in my future wanting to fix things and get into this field. But when I was in college, I originally wanted to be a double major between marketing and advertising. I wanted both because they were separate degrees. One was in the business school and one was in the communication school. And at DePaul, the two schools are on different sides of the city. One's downtown and one's in Lincoln Park. So I would be running back and forth between the two with a notebook full of classes and schedules and trying to figure out, can I do a double major within four years? And both departments kept saying I would. And I'd go home and I'd lay everything out on the floor. And I was like, there's no way I can do this. And then I'd go back and they'd say, go to the other one, go to the other one, be playing phone tag between the two. And eventually, I just couldn't make it happen. It would have been over five years in, in school. So I ended up doing art and design as a minor, which really played into my creative side. So I knew I wanted to be designing brands. I knew I wanted to be building marketing materials. I was part. I was the founder of the with a buddy of mine, we founded the DePaul Marketing Association. And so I was pretty heavy into the marketing world and, and really excited about it at that age. So what was your first job and how did you get it? So my first job out of school, I did interning and things while I was in school. But my first job out of school was at Discover Card, Discover Financial Services. And I got it at one of our career fairs. So I went to every single career fair from freshman year till senior year. And I come from a family that's very focused on work. And I've been working on my resume for four straight years, probably way too much. And I got to a point where I was putting all of my design and marketing skills to work. So I had a, a personal website, which was fairly unheard of in 2009 and 10 for a college student. I had business cards that matched my website and matched my resume because I was a design student. I was overdoing it. And, but that's what worked. I, I went to the career fair. I had my resume put together. It was, if you actually zoomed in, I had like custom bullets that I had designed with like a little bug. It was too much. It was far too much. I spent way too many hours on it, but I was an RA, so I had nowhere to go. I was stuck in the dorms all day. And so I was at the career fair and I talked to all the different companies. And I was walking out the door and the last company I passed was Discover Financial Services. And I handed them my resume and I had my business card stapled to it. And the woman, Ronick, was amazing. She saw, she looked at it, saw the business card match the resume and just said, wait, 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 come back here. And we got to talking and I joined this, what was called the MLPs, the Marketing Leadership Program. It was a rotational program at Discover Financial where I got to be in a bunch of different areas of the company really quickly with a bunch of other people my age and kind of get exposure to all the different types of roles that you could have in the marketing world. Fantastic. So you worked there actually for three years mm -hmm. before you moved to Mark USA as an account manager. And Mark USA, once again, is a privately held advertising company. So you did the marketing thing and then you moved over to an ad agency. What did you do as an account manager? And were there new skills that you learned in that role that you didn't? know about when you were at Discover? Yeah, it was an interesting transition. When I was at Discover, I got to do a lot of different roles. I did the creative services role, which was kind of like being at an ad agency, but internal. I got to be on the email marketing team and I got to be on the data and like marketing team. And my last role there was very data heavy and I'm much more creative. So I kind of hit a point where I was like, I need 
to be around creative people. And I wanted to be more on the design side. I just hadn't found an opportunity yet. So I was interviewing at ad agencies and it was kind of funny at the end of the interview. And this kind of goes into getting a job doesn't always necessarily mean you've got the right job. So I'm really good at getting jobs, which sometimes worked against me because I would get the job that wasn't right for me. And I remember at the end of the interview, the head of creative goes, are you sure you want to be an account person? Because everything that you just presented to us, I had to put together this really intense presentation that I spent a lot of time working on in Prezi with Zoom-ins and all sorts of different stuff. And he goes, are you sure you don't want to be on the creative team? And I was like, is there an opening on the creative team? And he goes, no. And I go, then I guess I'll be an account person. And it was a really interesting role. I got to learn a lot about how creative is made for YouTube, for radio, for just print and everything, how brands are developed. I was in the radio booth sometimes. It was, it was a fascinating role for a lot of different reasons. But the biggest thing I learned was how to communicate with clients. A big piece of an account manager's role is just being that liaison between the design team, the developers, and the client who just wants things done. And so you have to explain why that can't get done in that way on that timeline and then turn around and be like, how can we get this done quicker? And being that sort of liaison, I think that's even how I pitched myself because I had that design and marketing background. So I was like, I can be the translator between the client side and the creative side. And it was, pretty, it, it, it was exactly that. It was exactly what I was expecting. It wasn't eventually right for me, but it, it was the next step that I needed in my career. You mentioned in the interview, you had put together some kind of presentation. What was that? And how much time did you spend preparing this presentation for this yeah. interview? An incredible amount of time. <laughs> so. It was a take-home assignment, as most companies have. And I had actually quit my job before trying to transition into advertising because I was working in the suburbs and my commute was two hours each way. So yeah, it was pretty intense. And so there really wasn't much time to network. There wasn't much time to go on interviews or really do anything. And so I kind of hit a point where I was like, I need to dedicate myself to the job search. I don't know if I'd recommend that to people. I burned through half my savings doing it, but at the time, but it, it worked for me. And I had a side project going and they had assigned me this take home assignment. And it was, I think it was to come up with some sort of brand. If you, if they gave you like a, a, a shoe or something. And they said, if you were going to rebrand this and relaunch it, what would it look like? And I don't remember the details of it, but I'm sure I could find it somewhere. And yeah, I, I went all out. I just, I had printouts that I handed to everyone in the meeting. And I had spent, and Prezi is this like presentation software that you can embed images within images and it has this like tracking system. So as you hit the next slide, it zooms into like the word. I've stopped using Prezi because it gets really complicated really quick, but it was super fun and super new at the time. And I was just having a blast with it. I, I'd been desperate to be creative for two, three years. And I just put everything I had into that presentation. And yeah, it really, it really did. It worked. It was, it was a good time. It seems like an odd assignment to give someone who they said, admittedly, this was not a creative role. You were more interfacing, translating between the creative and the client. Well, but. I don't think this the assignment was to put together something as creative as that. I think the assignment was just give us a presentation. 
they were expecting maybe three or four slides. <laughs> got it. And, and I just was like, I got all this creative energy and I don't sleep much. So let's do it. <laughs> okay. So you stayed at Mark for two years before mm-hmm. moving to Udacity. And that was 2017 when you moved. This is the online learning platform mm-hmm. with a tech focus in their classes. You were a project manager and a senior career advisor. So can you break down for us what you were doing wearing these two different hats? Well, so there was a lot of things between those two transitions. I I started a side business with that same buddy that I started the marketing association with. I left advertising to go try and be entrepreneurial. I found after the entrepreneurial project ended, I found some contracts. And then that's how I got introduced with Udacity. And so I actually, I made that pivot from marketing to coaching in that time frame. I was doing a podcast. We had someone on from themuse.com and they had us stay on after the podcast and said, we're launching this coaching program. And it sounds a lot like the marketing coaching we're doing. Would you want to be on our platform? And that was the first I'd ever heard of career coaching. And so I got on that platform, did that for about six months. And then I sort of hit this fork in the road between going all in on marketing again or going all in on coaching. And I remember having a journal entry where I'm like, okay, think you're going to try and be a coach. Yes, you're a coach. Go go try and be a coach. And I was like trying to convince myself to leave marketing. It seemed like a more solid career than coaching. And that's where I just started cobbling together contracts. I was working with three or four different schools and Udacity was one of them. And I just started as a, as a career coach. And so I was a contract career coach for about six months before my manager went on maternity leave. And then I was brought on full time to be a senior sort of career coach, program manager and run the, their high end coaching platform at the time, which had a job search guarantee and it had a lot of different aspects to it. And my job was to get as many of those people jobs as possible and limit the number of returns as possible, the number of guarantees and just really start building out that program. And then once my manager came back, I moved into a different role in that program manager space, creating other kinds of projects until the company eventually pivoted a little bit away from coaching into more of a B2B space, or at least that was my understanding at the time. What do you think you learned at Udacity in or Udacity, sorry, I keep pronouncing it wrong. I I think it's both. (laughs) Okay. So what did you learn at that company that you brought with you into your own company, Career Therapy? Well, the big thing I learned about that company is that if you don't, if you're not part of a school, you have very little, you you have almost no support system for your job search. So people who are at a school like Udacity or... General Assembly or any of these places that I work, they have a built-in careers track, built-in coaches, built-in support. And still a lot of people don't take advantage of it, which blows my mind. But what I noticed was that if you're not part of one of these schools and paying exorbitant amounts of money, you don't have it, which means you're just alone. And I compared it to my own career transitions when I would quit jobs. And I'm like, it's like really difficult to motivate yourself and keep yourself accountable and all those different things. And so I actually started career therapy as a meetup group 
that's that was the whole idea. I had a job. It wasn't even supposed to be anything big. I, I have like six meetup groups. And the Wednesday before the first meetup, we were going to meet at the Chicago Athletic Association. And the Wednesday before the first meetup, I got news that I was being laid off. And <laughs> it was so funny because I showed up that Saturday and I was like, Hey, everyone, I'm Martin. I started this meetup group to support people who feel isolated in their job search. And I need it as much as you today. So it's good to see you. <laughs> and that was kind of the starting point for me for my own my own business. And within a couple of weeks, I'd gotten a few contracts back under my belt and I was back to work. But then that idea of like, well, I've got this career therapy thing here. Let's start developing that. And the meetups grew into events, which grew into actual coaching, which grew into this program that I run now. And I've just let it kind of evolve over time. I haven't put too, too much pressure on it. That's so interesting. I thought that you were going to say you learned how to build online classes from Udacity because you have the Unstuck in Six which is it's one of your online it's courses. It's definitely a, a skill that I learned there, 100%. I built many, many programs at that company. Though I'd been creating courses on for quite some time. I actually created a course before I was at Udacity called Discover Your Inner Awesome, a name that I still can't stand, but that's what we called it. And <laughs> I like <laughs> and it. That, it. It has its moment. And it was a course on marketing and personal branding and career development. Although we sort of had it under the entrepreneurial side hustle kind of window at the time. And so what I'm doing with coaching actually stems from that. It's a lot of the same materials, but focused on the job seeker rather than the entrepreneur. And so, yeah, it's... But I I would say Udacity really showed me how to hone my coaching skill my coaching process. That's actually one of the biggest things is how do you walk someone through a program and a process? That was, that was a big takeaway from that business. So you worked there for two years and then I, that was where you were laid off from Mm -hmm. and, and career therapy is born through Mm -hmm. this meetup. And where are you today? How would you describe where career therapy is? We're doing this interview on June 1st of 2021, coming out of the pandemic, light at the end of the tunnel. (laughs) Has the pandemic been a boon for career therapy? Has it been a challenge? Where would you say you are? The pandemic had its its interesting effect on on the coaching world, it in a way it was a boom because a lot of people lost their jobs. And it's a career that when people are in crisis, that's what we're here for. So it sort of is recession proof in a way, but it kind of came with its own challenge because right before the pandemic was the first time ever, I thought more than like six months ahead. I was like, okay, I have this meetup. It's going well. I'm going to plan it out for a year. And I got a partner and I had a space to host it. And I scheduled all the meetups for an entire year. It's the first time I'd ever done something. Normally, it's like a week at a time. And I got really excited about how like long-term I started thinking about business. And then literally like two meetups in, 
pandemic hits. And I was like, okay, let's pivot. And that's when I started doing live streams and I started putting a lot more time into the podcast and I started doing a lot more virtual stuff. And right now, I think where career therapy has gotten to through a lot of ups and downs, I actually launched a different version of the Unstuck coaching program called the Stress-Free Job Search. It was a much longer program, much more in-depth, a lot more touch points with clients. And it honestly, it overwhelmed people. They were like, I need like time to process and put this stuff into effect. So the pandemic was really fun in fun, weird way to put it. But it was a, it gave me time to test things and to iterate on things and to kind of remove some of the excess. And now I have this program that has a three month, a six month and a month by month version. And it's really streamlined. I've, I've really kind of honed it in and, and found what, what I like to do and how I like to support people and what they need the most. And, and now I'm bringing in some more like mental health strategic stuff into there as well. Like how to keep yourself from going crazy during the job search because that's, that's the tough part. So right now, career therapy is a mixture of contracts with schools and helping them coach their students, as well as building up this program and trying to make it as, as great as I can for the folks going through it. Fantastic. One of the things that I've observed, Martin, after interviewing hundreds of professionals and coaching probably around 100 students, not at your level there with hundreds of the hundreds of students you've coached, is that so long as you keep your interests front and center and lean into your strengths, when you look in the rearview mirror, all the dots will line up in a way that it almost seems as if you had it mapped out ahead of time. What would you say? Oh, yeah. I think everything makes sense looking backwards. And that's from coaching so many people who don't feel that way. Almost everyone I coach says, I want to just ignore my previous job and start fresh. And I go, that's fine, but you're going to have a hard time telling that story. I had someone who was a poker player for four years and he wouldn't put it on his resume. And I go, why not? He goes, I think it makes me look unprofessional. I go, yeah, until you get the interview with the guy who plays poker every Friday with his buddies. And now you're having the best conversation of your life. And or until you apply for a job at a company that uses gaming theory in their business. And now you are the smartest person in the room. And like, what's worse being a man of mystery for four years or being a poker player? Like, I think being a man of mystery is a more weird thing. So even my career, I didn't even know career coaching was. And even when I was doing it, I was in marketing, I was teaching marketing and people were using it to get jobs. And I was like, it's interesting. All right, back to teaching my class. And then it sort of got pointed out to me that this is a thing people do. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess it is. Because in college, there were career, career advisors and things like that. And it's been this slow evolution. So looking backwards, I loved human behavior and psychology and mental health and marketing and all of it now makes sense because I can put those pieces together. And earlier today, I was talking to someone who was an anthropology major and now he's a UX designer. And he goes, well, I just want to leave out the first part. I go, but why are you an anthropology major? He goes, well, because I love studying what makes humans similar and what makes them different. And I go, and what's UX design? He goes, well, finding that sort of 
thing that really connects like the behavior that most people exhibit and designing for that. And I go, exactly. So let's connect these dots and make the story work. And yeah, so for me, it really does make sense looking back. So I could even see it. Obviously, I love coaching. I'm going to keep coaching, but I could see it veering into like becoming a therapist or I could see it going a lot, a lot of different ways. And that's to be explored. Who knows? But right now, I'm just focused on building this business and making it as strong as I can. And I think I might have gotten a little way away from your question there, but I hope I think I circled it well enough. You did a beautiful job circling it. Martin, as you know, most Time for Coffee listeners are college students, young professionals. Are there common pain points that you've observed among the hundreds of young people that you've coached? And if so, what are they? So young people have to deal with their families a lot more and the expectations of their parents and things like that, which I think is a struggle. And in a way, I think my advice there is if your parents are still supporting you, then they have a say. If they're not supporting you, then they don't have a say. So a big thing would be if you don't know what you want to do, do something on the side. Like do like I took the corporate job. It wasn't my first choice. It wasn't what I wanted to do. And to be honest, I didn't have a ton of options. That was like the best option I had. And it paid well. So my parents were like, stay there, stay there until you die. And I was like, I don't think I could stay here till I die. This is I can't be in this company for 50 years. I'll I'll go nuts. Now that being said, I have friends who are still there. It's been 15 plus years. I'm sure they have wonderful retirement accounts and they are fine with life. I I'm sure they love it. For me, it would not have worked out well. And so the big thing for me was like, if I'm going to go do my own thing, I need to find a way to do it on my own and then build that sort of thing. And I have to make a case for it. So I think the younger you are, the more you have the influence of family. And that's really tough. And the thing I would say there is you can do both. You can make your family happy until you can get enough distance to go do your own thing while also doing your own thing. And then the other thing is your decisions aren't as important as you think they are. I changed jobs so many times. I I did it wrong so many ways. <laughs> and like everyone I talk to who's younger like really wants to get it right. And there is no right. There's just, oh, I'm doing this. And I guess now I'm doing this. And now I'm doing this. Like try and be mindful. Don't let your career happen to you. Make decisions. But also each decision you make is far less important than you think. As long as you keep trying things, that's where I have to put the caveat because sometimes people just take a job and then stay there for 15 years and never get a promotion and never try anything. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is as long as you keep pushing and trying to learn and trying to figure out what you're good at and pursuing your skill set, then that will lead you in the right direction. Like for me, every single person I talked to complained about their job and wanted to talk to me about it. I didn't know what career coaching was, but eventually I got the message. I should be doing this. And if I, as soon as I stopped to listen to what people were coming to me for, they were coming to me for that kind of stuff. Then I went and found jobs that filled that sort of a thing. So if everyone comes to you from financial advice, maybe be in finance. Everyone comes to you for creative advice, then maybe go into a creative field. If everyone that you talk to says you're good at a thing, start listening to that. I think it's really helpful. Oh, what amazing advice. 
The other piece I would add, because sometimes people aren't coming to you, but your gut is telling Mm -hmm. you something. And I think that it's especially common with young people to disregard their gut. They don't trust themselves. How would you help them feel more comfortable in listening to what their gut is telling them, Martin? You have to build things. You have to, you can't rationalize your gut. You have to do things. So my partner is an artist. So, and I am, I have a creative side. I was an art design minor. So every once in a while, every once in a while when I'm having a hard week, I'll get this thought in my head that I should be like a poet or like be an artist or like just give it all up and go the art route. And I, it's just so funny. Like it happens so often in a way where my body is just like, can you just make something? Just make something. Like my brain always goes to change careers because that's my life is helping people change careers. But really all my gut is telling me is like, can you go draw something? Can you go like get some, some creativity into our lives? That's all it's saying to me. So like, listen to your gut, but also realize that if you have anxiety or something, it will take what your gut is saying and like project it <laughs> into something else. And so I have to like, tamper it down and then get back to what the gut's really saying. And so in those cases, I think definitely you have to make the thing. You can't live in your head about it. So like right now, every once in a while, I'm like, maybe I'll be a therapist when I'm older. I could just stop there and just picture life as a therapist. Oh, it must be so cool and wonderful and insightful and all these things. Or I can go talk to therapists or I can go like, attend a class or I can go do something tangible to verify it. Or like so many people are like, I want to work in marketing because I love the show Mad Men. That's not marketing. That's not at all what that job looks like. Go talk to someone in that job or I want to be a developer because it pays well. You're going to have a heck of a run trying to make that work. Again, career coaching, it's like the job that I couldn't get away from. No matter what I was doing, I was coaching people on their careers. So I almost had to like accept it. And that was a weird process of like shedding marketing as a career and like go, okay, well now that I'm a career coach, what do I do? What do I, how do I make this work? And that's been the journey for me. It's like, now that I know that this is the skill that I have to do because I'm always doing it regardless. Now what? Cause I wasn't, I'm not always drawing. I, I rarely write poetry. I don't know why I had that thought, but like, at the end of the day, I'm always talking to people about taboo topics like money and their jobs and their bosses and things like that. I was eating a bagel yesterday and two people that worked at Cisco were sitting next to me and they were talking about all the different people that worked for them and who should get fired, and who should get promoted and everything. I just was like, just listen. I was like, oh, this is fascinating to me. I got to listen to every word of these people sound like they're terrible to work for. <laughs> my partner is sitting there eating a bagel. She didn't hear a word that they said. She was thinking her head, thinking about her art projects. Like that to me is hilarious and so insightful of like, yeah, I'm in the right place. Sometimes you're in the right place and your body's fighting it and you don't know why. But typically that just means that you're maybe not taking care of something else in your psyche. I think to me that just showed that you're nosy. <laughs> oh, I would I have am. been doing it. I would have been leaning into oh, Martin. <laughs> so nosy. I want to know everything. Right. But the thing is, when I say listen to your gut, 
and mm-hmm. and I kind of want to what is it called ground truth this with yeah. you. I am not saying follow your passion because most college students have not yet identified their professional passions instead listen to your gut follow your interests now yes. in your experience martin what do you say i would say most people don't know what they're passionate about and passions change wildly what i learned about myself wasn't i want to be an artist what i learned was when i'm anxious i create art so i was really anxious for a month or so cuz i was about to move into a new apartment and so my body was just like make art make art and that's that's a coping mechanism that's not a career and like so like self soothing Exactly. And so for me, it's like, at the end of the day, what's the thing that I wake up and always am down to do? Like, literally, when I'm not coaching, I'm getting coffee with a friend and they're telling me about the job. Cool. That's fine. Again, going all the way back, when I was in college, and I was an RA, and anyone needed a resume done, they would come to me and I would rewrite their resume. I didn't think about it. It was just something I did. I was good at. And it uses my marketing skills, my writing skills, my creative skills, my design skills. It uses all of those things. And now I run a business. So I designed my own website and I created the logo and I get to do all... I'm not a designer. I've never gotten hired as a logo designer. I guess technically I did for like a year. But I'm able to make my own logos. I'm able to make my own podcast. I'm able to make my own things and scratch that itch, so to speak. But again, it comes down to you're just up here, you're never going to figure it out. You need to go talk to real people and build real things. And by that, what Martin is saying is you need to do what are known as informational interviews. You Mm. need to reach out, you need to connect with people through your alumni. You use LinkedIn to do that. You also can look at people who are in the industries that interest you and identify people at these companies, reach out, connect, ask them for 20 minutes so that you can get a taste of what it's like to do their job and get their advice the way that Martin and I are swapping tips. So as one of my my clients said, ethical stalking. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. Some people may get annoyed, but it's all good. Like the world is a big place. Keep reaching out. Two final T4C questions, Martin. Could you share a time in your professional life when you struggled? You've alluded to some of those times when you failed, what society would call failure. I frankly got fired twice in my 40s. I wasn't laid off. I was the big F fired. Mm -hmm. And I look back on both those experiences with tremendous gratitude. But the most important point here, Martin, is how you persevered and if there was a lesson that you took away from the experience. So I think when it comes to failing, it's an interesting one because there's so many examples that I could pull from. But I think the, the toughest transition that I had, which can kind of be looked at as like failing because I couldn't, in a way, I couldn't hack it in in my first job. There's plenty of people that I started with who are still at that company, who are doing well, and I just couldn't make that work. And so I needed to quit that job. There was some management issues. There was 
role fit issues. Maybe if I was on a different team with a different manager, things would have gone very differently. But I remember sitting at a coffee shop the day before I went in to quit. And I wasn't going to tell my family because they really just wanted us. I got four brothers, wanted some stable jobs that we didn't leave forever. Just funny because my father's an entrepreneur too. But anyway, they're, uh, I, I was sitting there and I wasn't going to tell him, but I had a buddy with me and I was kind of freaking out. I was having this really hard night of like, should I do this? Shouldn't I do it? What's going to happen? Am I going to just, is my whole career going to be over? I've just graduated co- college like three years ago. What's going to happen? And I remember I was told I was committing career suicide at the time and it hit really hard and it was, it almost stopped me from doing it. But I had a buddy who turned to me and he goes, really? You think, he's like, you're 23 right now. You think for the next 60 years, you're not going to be able to find another job. And I go, oh, that's actually a really good point. Of course, I'll find a job in 60 years. (laughs) It was one of those like absurd comments that once you think about it, you're like, oh, this isn't nearly, but it's still very tough. It's not nearly as big of a deal as it was being made out to be, but it felt like such a big deal at the time. It felt like a failure. It felt like I couldn't make it work. And so that to me was one of those moments where in the eyes of my family, in the eyes of a lot of people around me, they're like, well, you quote unquote failed, couldn't make it work. And I spun it as well as I could. I was going to go do some consulting and different things like that. And I had a little small business that I was running. I, I spun it as best I can. But Truthfully, I just, I couldn't make that work. And for the next six months, I was trying to transition into that advertising space. And it was really, really hard. And every day was like panic attacks and just like insomnia and no sleep. Just like all the extremes, right? You wake up, you have a great interview, but then you don't hear back. Everything that everyone I coach that's going through right now, I had that for six straight months while burning through my savings in a very expensive apartment in Chicago, just like, just going crazy. And I think what I learned from that is one, I don't have to do everything that's expected of me. Two, I'm much more resilient than I think I am. And three, I should probably tamper down some of my bad habits because they can really take over when life is unstructured and stressful. So those are just a few things that I learned from that transition. And I would say that, that was one of the one of the toughest parts of my life and my career at this time. Thank you so much for sharing that. Final question. If you could go back to college, back to DePaul University and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom that you have today, Martin, all the experiences that you've had, what advice would you give yourself? I really like what I did in college looking back. I think at the time, I didn't know. I was just throwing a lot of things together. I knew I wanted to be marketing. I knew I liked design. The design kept me sane while I was in economics classes. If I could do it all again, I might just try and build better relationships with teachers. There's a couple of teachers. I, I really built strong bonds with my art teachers. And I'm actually still friends with some of them today. But in the business world, I was so scared of everyone. I was so scared of my instructors. I was so scared of... I had sort of like a fear of authority. 
And the art teachers were good at breaking down that fear. So maybe that's why I connected with them so well. But in the business world, I always had this horrible fear of like talking to a vice president. I had this, I went to how to get a job seminar and they introduced me to the head of an ad agency in Chicago. And I was so nervous in this informational interview. First one I'd ever gone on. Didn't even know it was an informational interview. I thought it was a real interview. And I wore a suit at an ad agency that I shouldn't have worn a suit to. I had a frog in my throat so bad that I couldn't even say words. Because he's like, why are you here? And I go, I had a good elevator pitch. And he goes, give me your elevator pitch. But I had spent three weeks studying his company and his work and reading all his blogs that I forgot who I was. <laughs> and I like had a paralyzed moment where I literally couldn't get words out. And I kept trying and I kept trying. And so I would just... If I could go back and do it all again, I would maybe challenge my fear of authority a little bit more and try to look at these people less as authority figures and more as potential collaborators, like people that I could confide in, people I could ask questions of, just remove all of the imposter syndrome and, and everything as best I could. What I try and teach people to do now, which is stop idolizing these people. They're just people. Like just talk to people. Everyone's figuring it out. But I had such a fear of that authority that it, it sort of paralyzed me a lot. And so that would maybe be something I would challenge. I get that. You just put these people on pedestals. I mean, I, I did the same thing and think that they walk on water. The truth is they've got all kinds of shit going on in their oh, yeah. lives. They've had career ups and downs. And trust me, if you gave them a couple of drinks, you'd start hearing about it. So well, that's the fun part is I actually reached out to that person whose informational interview I went on and I was so paralyzed that it was like 10 minutes. He's like, all right, I got work to do. And six years later, I reached out to him and I was like, Hey, I had the worst informational interview of my life with you. Thanks for the learning experience. And he's like, I don't know who you are, but let's get coffee. And we had an amazing conversation. Like that level of comfort. I wish I had earlier. Martin is the founder and lead coach at Career Therapy. You got to check out his course, Unstuck in Six. He is also the host of the wonderful podcast by the same name, Career Therapy. And he hosts a morning show, both on YouTube and on LinkedIn, that live streams every weekday morning. So make sure to follow him on both platforms. Martin, I want to thank you so much for making time for this coffee chat, for making time for coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community. Really and truly, I got so much out of it and I know our listeners will too. Thank you, friend. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.